Hello, London. Guess what? I'm coming to you on Sunday. That's right. This Sunday, I will be fresh off an 11-hour flight. I'm going to sleep and stuff, too. Uh, but we're doing a live episode of the Cracked Podcast in the UK for the very first time at the London Podcast Festival. I can't wait. I also can't wait to tell you who's on the show. I'm going to be joined by a guest we're announcing for the first time, an amazing comedian from The Now Show, Mock the Week, Newsjack, and more. Comedian Olga Koch will be joining us. And I'm joined by an amazing comedian, author, and podcaster who you may know from The Infinite Monkey Cage or from his network Cosmic Shambles. The very, very funny Robin Ince will be on the show as well. What a lineup. What a time. If you want to get a ticket to it, here's what you do. You either use the footnotes to get the link to it or you type in bit.ly slash cracked London to see us for the very first time in the UK. Support for today's show comes from Tool, as in the band Tool, because they've finally released their first new album in 13 years. It is called Fear Inoculum, and it's already being hailed as an epic masterpiece. Tool's new album is over 85 minutes long, and the limited edition physical package includes a 36-page booklet, immersive video experience, and a download card to access even more material. Tool's entire catalog is available for streaming and download now on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon Music, and more. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ. And I am also, also pretty sure the most positive Twitter development of all time happened a few weeks back. We uh, we lived through it. We did it. Because here's that story. Simu Liu is an actor you probably know the name of now, if you're, if you're a big fan of Marvel movies. Uh, I knew him from the delightful Canadian family sitcom Kim's Convenience, where he plays the son. Not everybody's seen it. Anyway, here's what he tweeted at 12.54 p.m. on December 3rd of 2018. Quote, Okay, at Marvel, comma, are we going to talk or what? Hashtag Shang-Chi. End quote. And then, on this past July 20th, Mr. Liu replied to his own tweet with the following, quote, Well, shit. End quote. That's the whole thing. And that self-exchange happened because in the intervening months, Marvel cast Simu Liu as the superhero Shang-Chi, main character of a Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 4 film. And I don't know if this Twitter magic was actually how the uh, the casting happened, or it's just like a public version of a private, uh, normal casting kind of thing. Either way, it leads us into today's topic. We are talking about shockingly important near misses of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One more time, that is shockingly important near misses of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, it's just like an Avengers episode. It's going to be very fun. And here's one way being alive is more interesting than people think it is. Within the past 11 years, from the 2008 Iron Man movie to now, Marvel constructed the most complex interlocking series of movies in, I think, film history. I haven't been convinced there's a different one. And that process over those 11 years had about a billion potential wrong turns along the way, or just different turns along the way, along with tons of key moments that happened because of one phone call 
or one changed mind, or like that story, one tweet. We are partly doing this because we're not too far off the heels of uh, of that sort of Avengers cycle completing itself and the newest Spider-Man movie that carries it forward. We're also taping this because we have the best guests to talk to about it. One of them is Cracked editor, columnist, and so much more, Syriac Lamar. He's one of my guests today, and I'm so excited to talk to him because he knows his comics. Uh, he knows a lot of things. He, he has depths and range. Uh, comics in particular are one of the things he is great on because he's been reading these things forever, and he's been reading them with an eye to exactly how they work and exactly how one artistic movement or one business decision builds on another. You've heard him on past episodes of this show about comics, and I'm so glad he's back. And then I am also joined by Joey Clift, a very, very funny comedy writer and comedian. He's an internet comedy professional. He also put up a UCB improv show not too long ago, and it had the following title, all 76 characters from Avengers Infinity War do a mono scene together. That was the name of the show. I don't know if you know what mono scenes are. That's a that's an improv thing where the whole improv happens in one room or one moment, more or less. So he really piled them in. It was sort of a loving parody of how this cinematic universe has been put together because he's a very funny person who also thinks about this universe quite a bit. Perfect guest for talking about how it all almost went totally different. And that's all the setup you need, so please sit back or stand in a circle with your fellow Avengers while the camera circles around you like a big looping thing. You've seen a gif of it. It's the, it's the thing from the first Avengers movie. We all get it. I, I really feel like that cemented the entire thing. Like that moment, the entire world was like, okay, we could use 12 more of these movies. Let's do it. And either way, here's this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Joey Clift and Syriac Lamar. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. I feel like now that I have seen, uh, what, over 20 movies, it's time we can talk about this, right? We're all set to talk about Marvel and this enormous thing they built. Yeah, finally, people are getting together to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's been too long. At last. Yeah, yeah at last. <laughs> it's like, what if the Iliad was everything? <laughs> I mean, I wonder if in terms of script pages, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is probably longer and more epic than the Iliad, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They got they got they got monsters and you know living whirlpools. I think and you know Silent Charybdis and all all those fun names. So <laughs> yes, yeah. Why are we talking about the Iliad again? I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah uh, this is uh, the Crack it's... Podcast presents the deep dive on the Iliad. Yeah. Um, and they're giving Charybdis a standalone movie, which yeah. I think is a mistake. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, there's just not enough there. But like, you know, <laughs> hey, they gotta they gotta pad it out somehow. You know. <laughs> you know, I want Kevin Feig on stage being like. He's more than a vortex, everyone, more than just a sentient vortex that is angry at sailors all the time. Yeah, like he's the question angry. is, how did he become a sentient vortex? And then if that movie does well, what other adventures is he going on? Yeah, he's got a story to tell. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, so we, as we look at this, it's it's the most complicated interlocking movie franchise that I know of. It's sort of sparked by... This guy, and I think I've heard it pronounced Kevin Feige. I don't know if that's exactly right or not. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Kevin Feige. Yeah, we're gonna go with Feige. So Kevin Feige is is someone who 
uh, I think speaks to the, the larger thing we're talking about today, too, of all these different near misses that almost completely changed uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's partly because, especially if you look at the Vanity Fair oral history of the first Iron Man that we'll have in the food notes, Kevin Feige was sort of working for the company Marvel and then realized that he could just expand his job into building a studio. It's amazing. Like one guy was like, oh, this could be a whole thing that no one's just thought of doing yet. Well, yeah, Kevin Feige, I mean, he's he's the perfect storm of um, huge comic book nerd that found himself in a position of power. Like he was like <laughs> he was like an associate producer, I think, on like the first X-Men movie in the early 2000s. Yeah. And like that was really successful. So he kind of like worked his way up the ladder and eventually found his way like just like in a, enough of a position of authority to, you know, say like, hey, like small Marvel studios. Hey, let's start up a studio and like, you know, make our own movies. He's just the perfect storm of the right guy in the right place at the right time for something like this. To the Marvel Universe's credit, I like it's it sounds weird to like praise giant multi-billion dollar corporate product, but <laughs> to their credit, they made this all happen with the backbenchers. Like to a T. Right. These were when you grew up in the 90s, none of these characters were considered A-listers. Captain America was kind of hokey. Um, Iron Man was not even on most people's radars. Uh, no, no the, most people probably knew him through Black Sabbath. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Or Ghostface, you know, yeah. Yeah, Wolverine and Spider-Man were the marquee, the marquee characters. And for uh, this kind of sea change in how the public at large looks at superheroes is just absolutely bananas, you know? I wasn't like a huge comic book person growing up, but a lot of my friends were. And like, when the Guardians of the Galaxy movie came out, I had no idea who these characters were. And even my friends that were like diehard, like, you know, like their garages filled with long boxes, comic book folk, they were like, oh, yeah, why are they making a Guardian? Like, who? nobody, even I don't know who the Guardians of the Galaxy is. <laughs> like, they, they're like, if, if Iron Man is a C-lister, the Guardians of the Galaxy are like an F-lister, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's not even like, you know, making French toast with what you have in the fridge. It's basically like pouring all the spices into a bowl and eating with a spoon. That's like the level of detritus they were working with yeah, like, as right. far as marketable uh, properties, you know. When I was in when I was in college, there was one time where I needed to make dinner and the only things that I had in my kitchen, it was like one in the morning were pasta noodles and green tea. And I told myself, okay, so the thing to do here is to boil the pasta noodles in green tea, which did not work. Whoa, and the Guardians no. of the Galaxy is the movie version of that. Yes. yes. <laughs> I kind of like that food metaphor you bring up for for what they were working with, because also we have an amazing story here. And I, and I think Joey picked this one out to talk about because Marvel placed an enormous bet when they were going into the first Iron Man. They they needed money and they were like, we'll bet everything in the pantry. We'll do it when they were at, I guess you could say their lowest when they really wanted to start a studio. They just, you know, comics weren't selling that that well. They didn't really have a ton of capital. The original Iron Man was like self-financed by Marvel as entirely just a just a gamble of we'll see how this goes. And the only characters that they really had to give up for this were Ant-Man, the Black Panther, um, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Captain America and the rest of the Avengers. And yeah. to um, like, yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> all, all the most famous heroes yeah. now. <laughs> but like, you know, but in, you know, in the mid 2000s, right. these were nobodies. So in exchange for um, a $500 million loan to Merrill Lynch to make the first couple of MCU movies, they basically were like, okay, we're giving you the rights to all of these characters as collateral. Yeah. So like really, <laughs> if like Iron Man would have failed, like, like Marvel would probably not be a company anymore. 
or we would have like the yeah. Merrill Lynch version of Blood the Black Panther movie. Or they or they'd be like an extremely small publisher of physical comics. They yeah. would just be a couple guys in an office building somewhere. Oh yeah, they would handling be handling distro. Yeah, yeah, it would be yeah, exactly. It would have been like a way smaller thing than the, you know, multi-billion dollar property that it is now. I want to see the Marvel What If universe where Merrill Lynch gets the rights to all these characters. <laughs> right. And I want to see I want to see what Captain America written by an insurance officer would have been. <laughs> right, like their CEO gets to be Captain America in a corporate <laughs> trading video or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like this is like the first thing that he says is this is canon. <laughs> The shield is protecting your investments. The <laughs> yeah. Captain America pledge of quality. Yeah, we could have gotten like the I'm Doctor Strange and the strangest thing of them all is if you don't get a loan from Merrill Lynch. This is canon in the MCU. <laughs> Especially like maybe younger listeners who mainly know Marvel through the movies. At this time, the few cool characters were Spider-Man and X-Men and, yeah. and a couple others that were yeah. all sold off. But so then Marvel's collateral for this loan was... Captain America, the Avengers in general, Nick Fury, Black Panther, Ant-Man, Cloak and Dagger, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, Power Pack, and Shang-Chi, which is all the current and future Marvel stars, pretty much. That's like yep. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> they would have no more movie rights uh, at that point, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, then they would have like started with a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which you don't start there. That's true. They didn't. They didn't risk that one. Yeah, uh, they were like, they were like, we're keeping this one. Like, we know, like, like the guy from Parks and Rec is going to be great in this movie. Because <laughs> also there are other characters out there uh, that they didn't use. Uh, and then as we look at sort of the universe we got, one one key initial thing is, as you were both saying, Iron Man was not that popular. And so it was a thing where it was it was kind of the choice they thought would work out for very specific weird reasons. Like we said earlier, Iron Man was like a C-level character. He was somebody that like maybe if you walked past a comic book store, you saw like the like a picture of an Iron Man, like, you know, an Iron Man comic or something like that. But you probably like had no idea who I like. Like my touchstone for Iron Man before the MCU was like he was a character in the like the, the Marvel like side scrolling beat em up arcade game that came out in the 90s. Um, <laughs> when Kevin Feige wanted to start Marvel Studios, they were trying to figure out exactly like, you know, which characters that would be the launching point from this. The way that they went about it was super interesting. They literally like they did like a focus group with a bunch of kids, took pictures of um, all of the Marvel characters, handed them to the kids and said, which one of these, if this was a toy, would you like to play with? Which we can all agree is the best place to start from creatively. <laughs> and um, all the kids said, oh, like we we want to play with Iron Man. But then all the kids thought that Iron Man was a robot. Like they weren't yeah. necessarily like they like they knew so little about him. They were like, oh, he's a robot. So I'm and like so they were like, oh, I'm not sure if we could do like a robot Iron Man movie. So they literally had to create a series of short films just to educate people that there was a guy in that suit. <laughs> and a uh, fun fact, the uh, they they made these uh, like they, they were CG shorts. They're they're really good. You can find them online. They feature like Spider Man and Iron Man fighting a giant robot. They were actually directed in the mid two thousands by uh, Tim Miller, who directed the Deadpool movie. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And if you look in, at it, like it's putting um, in the time early. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, if you look at it, it's like the Deadpool movie that originally got made because Ryan Reynolds funded like an animatic, basically like a computer generated proof of concept of what the Deadpool movie that came out would came out. It got like leaked online after some studio passed on the movie and it went like crazy viral it was on Reddit and stuff like that. 
And like that animatic was like it was the same deal as this Iron Man thing where it was like yeah. it was like he made that as like a proof of concept for this. But it just blew up so much and like really like nailed the Deadpool style that they were like, well, we'll just have you direct the movie. <laughs> like that was the first movie he ever directed. But yeah, uh, you know, small world. There's only 10 people working in superhero movies and Tim Miller is one of them. <laughs> Early in, early in life, I was not that versed in all the comics lore, and I'm I'm pretty sure I just thought Iron You're Man too busy was a read, robot. You were too busy reading the Iliad. <laughs> <laughs> the original comics, man. Yeah. I, that's such an amazing thing to me that, that as we look at many ways this could have gone differently, one of them is they go to the focus group and the kids just say a different character looks like a fun toy. Like, no, yeah. Captain America looks like a G.I. Joe. Well, then that's the first movie now. <laughs> yeah, that's, or just that's like, all it takes. Yeah. Or like, Howard the Duck looks funny. <laughs> and they're like, oh, they launched the MCU with Howard the Duck. <laughs> I mean, I probably as a kid thought Iron Man was C-3PO and Howard the Duck was Daffy Duck in like a shirt. That's oh, probably yeah. how I would have thought those <laughs> things were right. going. I mean, yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> in terms of this Marvel universe buildings, there were really those shorts where Marvel was like, we can't roll out our Iron Man movie until we roll out these animated shorts. And according to comic book resources, they explicitly gave three goals to the people making them. One, clearly demonstrate that there was a man inside the armor. Very important. <laughs> two, um, the same thing, but in all caps. <laughs> right. <laughs> and two was show off his wide range of cool powers. Right. And then three was position him clearly as a hero on the same level as Spidey and Hulk by having those characters show how cool they perceive him to be and valued him as a peer. <laughs> oh, man, that is the most uncool way to sell a cool character. Yeah, I want to say, uh, item four, really play up the alcoholism. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, also I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with it, but as I understand it, Iron Man comics have a lot of rich stories. Like I think it was called Demon in a Bottle where he yeah, fights alcoholism. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah, know yeah. a lot about them. But that's like, I mean, that's always been kind of like a, like a, the B story of Iron Man is that like, you know, he's somebody who has like absolute control over everything except for kind of like his own inhibitions for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, like he's a guy and like Robert Downey Jr. did a really great job of kind of portraying that in the movie. But in like they, tr in the animated shorts, they try to like get there a little bit, but like, I mean, now that you mention it, there's absolutely a moment where like Iron Man saves the day. And then Spider-Man is like, wow, you're so cool. <laughs> What's kind of like perverse about the whole thing is like Iron Man is just like all of his weapons kill. Like Spider-Man can like use his web slinging for creative purposes or like I'll create a web hammock or like the Hulk. He's just, you know, it and he's just running around. He's having a bad time. He feels bullied, but he's the bully himself. It's, right. it's you know, the paradox of the Hulk. Right. Iron Man's just like covered in various you know lasers and heat rays and like cluster bombs yeah it's like iron man is a man who is made of guns if you ask somebody that like maybe read a couple of comic books growing up but isn't like super deep nerd about it and you said hey describe to me iron man they would probably say like he's an alcoholic who's made of guns like you know <laughs> uh, so it's like oh you want to hit those beats you know and also that describes James Bond. So stop stealing James Bond's thing, <laughs> yeah, Iron yeah. Man. If you think about it, Iron Man and James Bond are like basically the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, and maybe that maybe that's a thing to get us into maybe the most famous alternate potential Marvel thing, which is that Robert Downey Jr. had a hard time getting cast as Iron Man. And the whole thing changes if we don't cast him as that. They almost cast Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise is is the person for films. That's just the way yeah. it works. He's the A-lister. As far as we can tell, Tom Cruise just sort of decided he didn't want to do it. 
He said in an interview in 2005, quote, if I commit to something, it has to be done in a way that I know it's going to be something special. And as it was lining up, it just didn't feel to me like it was going to work. End quote. And all the pronouns there are referring to the potential Iron Man movie that they were looking at him for. So he was all lined up for it. They just couldn't get him. And then John Favreau had been pushing really hard for Robert Downey Jr. the whole way. And then we got the entire 10 years, 11 years of movies we know. Tom Cruise's Iron Man would basically just be Iron Man goes to, into his suit and he's like, I don't need this. And then it's just Tom Cruise running around. Like, it's like <laughs> Iron, Iron Man without, as, as, as he was meant to be without his, you know, there'd be like so much dialogue about like, I don't need this. I just need a destination to run to. <laughs> that's, you know, you didn't come here for the lasers. You just came here for some good old fashioned human locomotion. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing in the classic crack discovery that Tom Cruise runs in all films mm, all the time. Yes, that's all yes. he wants to it's, do. It's in his contract. He like... <laughs> I think that his thing is he just wanted to run more in the 90s and he was like, oh, I'm not motivated enough to wake up early and do it. I'll just write it into my, I'll write it into my movies. Right. Fitbits didn't exist yet. Yeah. So there was no reward system. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the reward for him was uh, millions of dollars. <laughs> well, yeah. And Robert Downey Jr., he's, he's a very interesting case where like now he's one of the most famous movie stars ever. He's made literally probably a billion dollars being in MCU movies. But like back then, you know, he was known as like, you know, kind of like a drug recovering drug addict. He was like not in like the best spot, but yeah. he'd like won a lot of acclaim as an actor and like won a lot of those trophies. And so he was like a perfect case of somebody that like it was definitely newsworthy that somebody of that pedigree would be in an Iron Man movie. But he was also like kind of a liability. So nobody really he wasn't getting a lot of work at the time. Yeah, he was he was in kind of a perfect bind for yeah. our purposes, right? Because yeah, he yeah. was an excellent actor who didn't have quite enough other options to not do it. Yeah, he was like he was mm -hmm. a very big get. In in, in retrospect, I th I think it's like really interesting how in Iron Man two there's the parallel between like Mickey Rourke, who is another kind of faded '90s uh, actor, yeah, uh, who is having a resurgence, and him and Robert Downey Jr. and it's kind of just like you know the. In kind of the casting parallel is really unique in, the, in retrospect, how, how that, you know, ends up. Continuing that trend, I'm trying to think of, like, what, you know, 90s actor would fit the bill. Um, uh, Polly Shore. Polly Shore. <laughs> Polly Shore. Yeah, everybody, I mean, look, if you're looking for a silver surfer, Polly Shore, yeah. it would be fine. A surprising number of comedians have been superheroes. Like, I, as I understand it, when Michael Keaton became Batman, he was mostly known for being funny. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe it opens the door to a, a someone like that. Because we can also, we can just leap to this later in the game Marvel story, which is that when they were auditioning people to be Captain America, not a lot of people know that one of the, the actors, the talent who was brought in was Dane Cook. Dane Cook, the stand-up comedian, got an audition to be Captain America, uh, now played by Chris Evans. How much different would the MCU be if we had Dane Cook, Captain America, and Tom Cruise, Iron Man? Like, would they have the energy <laughs> of Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr.? It would be very different, and I, I think, but also maybe very kinetic in its own regard. You know, I, I, I <laughs> maybe it would be less charismatic, but but more like Iron Man would be the straight man in that scenario. I think, and Captain yeah. America would just be like a wiseacre. Yeah, <laughs> but that's not like the one of the reasons that Dane Cook did not get the role is that after auditioning for it, he immediately posted about how he auditioned to be Captain America on Twitter and Marvel like, like really was like, yeah. what the hell, man? <laughs> like, like, do not like, don't do that. It, it got so bad that Dane Cook literally wrote a letter of apology to the casting person about kind of blowing it on Twitter. And like, I mean, you yeah. know, not to say that he would have gotten it or not gotten it, but that definitely did not ingratiate himself to the casting people. 
Yeah, that's the thing. He he made a boneheaded enough mistake that we don't actually know how close he came to getting it if he didn't do that. You know right. what I mean? Like maybe that was the difference. Right. <laughs> and I want to say like wasn't like John Krasinski, he was also like pretty high on the list to be Captain yeah. America. He I could buy. But that also that's like that's me seeing like a quiet place and like his chops as a like I haven't seen Dane Cook as a dramatic actor, you know. Yeah. And even with Chris Evans, they were sort of looking at they they were looking at, okay, we're we're looking at Dane Cook, the comedian, we're looking at Jim Halpert from the office, and we're looking at the guy from Not Another Teen Movie. Okay. Right. All these comedians, which one are we gonna pick? And right. then they picked Chris Evans from Not Another Teen Movie. Right. <laughs> he he was already the human torch at that point. That was that was actually like, yeah, he totally like made the leap, you know, yeah. from one hero to another. Not a lot of people do that. Yeah, he did it. I... Um, Mike, Michael B. Jordan did it as Killmonger. I mean, that was villain, yeah. but like I feel like if you're cast as a human torch in a Fantastic Four movie, that definitely speaks well of maybe not the movie that you're in, but in your future as a superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as, as your marketability as like a fresh face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we put together this whole podcast episode about, about movies, about Marvel characters, and I had flushed it out of my head that Chris Evans was ever the human torch. But he was <laughs> in those old Fantastic Four movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah those, um, those were movies that existed and... I think people are only watching them these days for sociological purposes. I, I don't think anyone actually enjoys them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember like, I mean, the Fantastic Four, Mr. Fantastic is one of my favorite superheroes because I'm like lanky and stretchy like him. And, um, and uh, if you're listening at home, role model. <laughs> if you're listening at home, Joey's arms flew about the room. Yeah, they and, flew about the room. In enormous uh, distances. Yeah, I reached all the way around the room and then yeah. like out the door and then back through the office. And then I tapped Alex on the shoulder and then I gave him like a Woo, 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 like a uh, three stooges slap. It was very delightful. <laughs> but like, so I was primed to like the Fantastic Four movies. And even like, I don't know, watching them as like a teenager, I was like, these are bad. <laughs> like, it's just sort of the like, the like, the lie that everybody tells themselves of like, yeah, that was fun, right? You know, like as you're talking yeah. to friends, you're leaving the movie. Two things. At the time, we were just happy that movie existed. We like we didn't care that it was a car crash. Just the sheer yeah. genesis that a Fantastic Four movie that wasn't a total piece of garbage was astounding in of itself. That maybe that, you know, you can tie that to the success of the MCU and that eventually people will want quality from their superhero movies yeah. and <laughs> simply not their mere existence. But uh, Alex, I, I think that, you know, with uh, Joey talking about like how he wanted to be a Fantastic Four, who did you want to be when you were a kid when you were a superhero so it ties very well into mine because i had two one was batman but then the other was i was so deep into old entertainment about men in boats that i really <laughs> really liked i really legitimately loved uh, the horatio hornblower stories and this was it's a british naval epic of the napoleonic era uh, it's a uh, bunch of men on sailing ships and a and e made a miniseries of I'm stunned we got into this. Annie made a miniseries of Horatio Hornblower, and the actor who played Horatio Hornblower in it is the guy who plays Mr. Fantastic in those Fantastic Four movies. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but like E.O.N. Grufford, I think. It's yeah, a Welsh yeah. name that I can't pronounce. So I was thrilled that Horatio Hornblower was in a superhero movie, and I was the only person who felt that way about that franchise. Uh, that's the most <laughs> Alex possible answer to a question I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I, I think folks I, we didn't wow. plan this we just got there i swear to god that's my thing bless you for answering who's your favorite superhero and you say horatio hornblower <laughs> bless you my friend there are so many of these these stories in marvel comics in general where people have some sort of mutant ish powers and so the inhumans was a group where where uh, marvel almost leaned into it really 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 hard making the inhumans a thing 
Yeah, basically due to the you know various deals with Hollywood, wherein Marvel was parceling out their uh, you know properties for other studios to make them. After a while, Marvel was like, oh, for every you know new X Men we idea we make, that's just further fodder for a Fox X Men movie. There was a period in the mid twenty in like the mid twenty tens where Marvel tried to gaslight its entire readership into believing, guys, we know you like the X Men, we know you like them for. <laughs> They're interesting characters and soap operatic backstories and the fact that they're, you know, very much a deeply metaphorical uh, group of superheroes. You know, they're young people. They're, um, you know, a metaphor for government oppression of various groups, of of racial minorities, of, of, you know, gay people. You know, what a deep, interesting group of characters. (laughs) Now, would you like to try the Inhumans? (laughs) The Inhumans are kind of sci-fi characters from the Fantastic Four universe, and they get their powers from Terrigen Mist, which is a mist that turns you into an inhuman when you're a teenager or something. And Terrigen Mist? Yes, Terrigen Mist, yes. And the Black Bolt, his whole power is his voice is so powerful it will level cities, so he doesn't talk a lot. (laughs) So, you know. (laughs) That's a good character for a movie. (laughs) Right, and, the and silent that, guy. That, yeah, yeah, and that cool. isn't to say people have done good stuff with Black Bolt. They wrote interesting Black Bolt stories, but there was definitely a moment where they tried to sell everyone on the Inhumans as kind of the new flavor of X Men, so to speak. I don't know. As like someone who liked the X Men, I found it. I found it kind of alienating, to be honest. They basically tried to, you know, <laughs> stifle new X Men as like part of Marvel's like you know initiative. They've since stopped doing that, and you know also. I'm assuming that, like, you know, Fox buying Disney obviously helped. It was definitely a very strange moment where you saw the X-Men kind of gang into fights with the Inhumans in the comic books. And, you know, Wolverine actually, believe it or not, Wolverine was encased in a statue made of adamantium during this period. Uh, So, like, Wolverine is just, like, in a metal statue. And he was, like, (laughs) he was there for a few years. And, you know, they got around it. They used, you know, they used, like, different characters from his universe to carry the story. And they, like, had an old, you know, there was an old Wolverine, I, I, you know running around but it was definitely this very strange moment where they tried to peel back the x-men and push the inhumans and i don't think anyone bought it actually i think they alienated people more than anything you know so i want to i want to tag on that a little bit um the level of uh the level of petty for marvel during this period was amazing it got to the point Mm. where they essentially get rid of all of the Fox-owned Marvel properties in the comics. Like the the Fantastic Four, literally the Fantastic Four split up in 2015. I think that like Mr. Fantastic just went away. Uh, Like he was just like, I'm going to go to space to do some stuff. Like uh, like you said, like the X-Men were like like way downplayed in the comics. I think that um, Spider-Man also was like significantly downplayed in the comics. The level of petty got so deep that the president of Marvel Comics at the time literally told people in the office to tear down all posters of Spider-Man, X-Men, and the Fantastic Four. And they did. They literally, like, he literally was so mad at Fox for owning these characters that he went went around and was like, Wolverine is dead to me. Like, <laughs> and all this creative decisions, it was just based on, it was we, spite. Sold, we sold our own characters. We are angry that we did that and they have them now. So we're going to build replacements through through all kinds of effort of the comics. Yeah. Just like <laughs> off of what Sierra, Sierra was saying, um, it does make a good point in that like, oh, if you're creating this amazing comic arc for the X-Men that like, you know, maybe sells like, you know, a co- like, I don't know how many comics they sell, but like maybe tens of thousands of copies and makes you a certain amount of money. And then 
Fox then uses that arc to make a movie that makes $500 million, it's like, oh, it definitely, especially when you're starting up your own studio, would make sense to, like, you know, like, lessen the importance of these characters because, like, the real money is kind of coming from your movies. There could have been sort of sort of a, a different movie universe for Marvel in either direction if they had either leaned even harder into just trying to screw Fox by making the Inhumans bigger because they, they ended up kind of dumping them into a little remembered TV show that also they had announced an, an Inhumans movie. Like they announced an Inhumans movie that was supposed to go after the Avengers. So they, yeah, were, like right. in, so they were like in deep. So they, and if they'd followed through, what a waste. It would have been a huge yeah. mistake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then in the other direction too, they could have just been cooler about it because as far yeah. as the stories go, Ike Perlmutter in particular, who is some sort of Marvel Entertainment CEO, who's not Kevin Feige, was extra mad about this X-Men stuff and was the driving force behind this Inhumans mm -hmm. move. If they'd just been chiller, they could have not wasted readers like Siri X time. Uh, with all this stuff <laughs> the people who are like writing involved the x-men i don't I got, you know i don't fault them man like writing an x-men comic like if you want to say hey you want to write x-men comic i'd be like yeah yeah sure you know that's a cool job and you, you get to do interesting things you can read these issues and definitely see there were some really perverse like editorial you know dictates at work for what they could do with these characters and so that's a very limiting thing to have to you know you can write an X-Men comic, but you can't introduce any marketable storylines. Like what? Yeah, you can write you know? an X-Men comic, but you got to really do a bad job. Really, really, what you do, what you write needs to be garbage. And we're and we're yeah. not really guessing. Like, there's uh, this cracked article here. The five weirdest choices the MCU almost made by Tara Marie picks out a story told on the Nerdist podcast by Chris Claremont, the very, very famous comics person. And he said that apparently Marvel started telling their X-Men writers not to create new characters <laughs> uh, because then they would be money for yeah. Fox. Uh, uh, I, I haven't heard about that. That's very funny. <laughs> which is, it's just out there. He's just saying that. And it probably happened. The older I get, the more I like Chris Claremont comics. Like, are, are you guys familiar with Chris Claremont? I know, I know. He he uh, more or less made Wolverine what that character is. Yeah, is that he's, right? Yeah, he's he's responsible for like yeah the really big all the big like iconic runs um, of the X Men in like the eighties that really established them as kind of like the kind of fun, interesting counterculture kind of like superhero group. But you know, again, this is a family podcast. Uh, Chris Claremont's <laughs> X Men comics are so freaking horny. They are like they are just hey. like lots of just like pining and yearning and people in tight costumes and like. <laughs> Storm's a punk. Storm goes super punk. She gets a mohawk and like, but yeah, no, I think his comics have aged really well. And it's, it is a pity when you, you know, have that guy saying that about hey, uh, characters he's so in depth with, you know? Uh, quick question. Right. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, how horny we talking here? <laughs> um, there's definitely an overall pervasive like hornballness happening. Basically the rated X-Men, am I right? Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Cyclops, here, here's something. Cyclops ends up after Jean Grey dies because she's Dark Phoenix. Cyclops ends up like marrying a woman who looks exactly like her, and then it turns out that oh, she's just creepy. a demon made her or something. And then Jean Grey's <laughs> yeah. not really dead, and and it's just like lots of antics, lots of like disguises and. Sometimes your disguise is your ex-wife is made by a demon um, and a model of yeah. Ain't, ain't your, that the truth, fellas? You know. <laughs> <laughs> but up, up. <laughs> 
And let's swing around to uh, uh, back to these core these core Avengers that we know as mm. like we think of the MCU as basically Avengers movies like they're building up to them or they are them. One amazing story here, I think Joey picked it out. It's that in uh, the 2008 Iron Man movie, they just kind of tacked on the famous post credits Marvel thing that we all know that uh, is what they do. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, the post credit scene of Iron Man, and this was probably the first example of a post credit scene in the movie, or if not the first, it's one of the rare early examples of post credit scene in the movie, saw Tony Stark meeting um, Nick Fury, who's a famous character in the comics, and Nick Fury just saying the words, I need you for the Avengers initiative, which is, you know, the yeah. thing that leads to the Avengers and all that stuff. If you read interviews from John Favreau and a lot of those guys, this is something that was literally thrown on at the last minute because Samuel L. Jackson asked to be in the movie. Um, and Samuel L. Jackson, he's he's a nerd. So cool. The reason that he got into Star Wars is that he just saw that like episode one was coming out and he was like, I want to be in a Star Wars movie. He literally offered That's to be, awesome. he like literally said, I will be a stormtrooper if you'll have me be a stormtrooper. And they were like, no, we'll make you a big Jedi. The reason that his lightsaber <laughs> is purple in uh, Star Wars Mace Windu is that Samuel Jackson said, I want to be able to see myself in a big lightsaber fight. Um, oh man, don't we all? Yeah, That's yeah. Great. So like, <laughs> so this uh, post credit scene, basically like uh, to take us back a little bit in, I believe it was the mid 2000s, there was an Ultimates line of comics where they introduced a new, a new Nick Fury, who Nick Fury used to be just kind of like a white guy with gray hair, but they patterned the new Nick Fury after Samuel Jackson. Like he just like literally like they took a picture of Samuel L. Jackson and said, we want this to be what Nick Fury looks like. To do that, usually you need to get like some kind of permission from the actor to use their likeness. So they reached out to Sam Jackson, you know, basically said, hey, would you like to be, is it okay if Nick Fury looks, looks like you in the comics? And Sam Jackson said, sure, but if you ever make a an MCU movie and put Nick Fury in it, I have to play Nick Fury. And they were like, yeah. okay, sure, that's a good deal. Uh, we really like one out here. So right. when would that ever happen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so like when they were making Iron Man, Sam Jackson heard about this and he just asked, hey, can I be in this as Nick Fury? And they were like, OK, like it, we can't really like give Nick Fury a big part in this, but sure, we'll tack you on at the end. It got to the point that literally like the day before shooting, I believe um, Michael Bendis like wrote the dialogue for the scene and like everybody plays it up as this thing that was just like a happenstance last minute thing that kind of got thrown together. But if you listen to, to uh, interviews with Kevin Feige, like it's very clear that he was like pulling something. Something that's so crazy about the MCU is that like as a fan of comic books, it makes sense to do a series of comic book movies where it's like, oh, yeah, you do a Thor movie and then Captain America shows up and then we do a Captain America movie and eventually we do an Avengers movie. Like we understand that as fans of comic books. But in terms of how like movies work, there's so many things of like, oh, like that. A-list actors not going to agree to do five lines in this movie because that like lowers their value. So um, like for Kevin Feige to pitch this to really anybody in Hollywood of like, oh, yeah, we're going to have Sam Jackson in it, but he's only going to be at the end of the movie and we're not going to promote that he's in the movie and he's not going to be on the poster. <laughs> like you'd have to get somebody who gets it to agree to that. Yeah. And like so it's like it's something that I think everybody kind of treated it as like, oh, this was a last minute thing, real crazy, right? But Kevin Feige was absolutely like, I'm going to do this. And if it blows up, then then we can have an argument to put, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. in the Hulk movie. And it's kind of like, I feel like there was a lot of background math that he wasn't telling anybody about. Oh, so probably. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, I mean, I don't know. He's a nerd. He knows comic books. I feel like he, this was him like his easy pitch to funders was like, oh yeah, this will be a fun extra. But really he was like, this flushes out the universe. And then if this does well, then I can introduce other things that can kind of build into this big MCU thing. 
because even I, I think you said that they uh, rightly that there had been movies with post credits teases of other stuff before. Uh, but like this really made it an institution. And yeah. he, he probably saw that that was a thing you could do. That's a way you could go about it. Well, yeah, like the Super Mario Brothers movie in the mid 90s definitely had a post credit scene where they were like, we're going back to the Mushroom Kingdom, boys, or whatever. <laughs> and uh, but it, so it's like, you know, it's not that it had never been done in movies, but like this was. I think from Kevin Feige's standpoint, his goal wasn't, oh, I'm setting up Iron Man 2 with this. His goal was the Avengers initiative. What's that? That also has the Thor and the Incredible Hulk in it. Oh, that's weird. We're doing an Incredible Hulk movie that's coming out in a couple of months. We should also, like, why not have them reference the Avengers initiative? And oh, we're doing a Thor movie too. So like, he's in the Avengers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, right? look, like, it's like, oops, all my movies are collapsing together. <laughs> yeah, oops. it's just oh, like, it's oh, like, oh, spillsies. Oh, yeah, it's not looking at it as like, <laughs> oh, we're teasing Iron Man 2 or whatever. It's more like, oh, we're teasing a, a universe. Right. Which like makes perfect sense in comic books. But like in terms of just how Hollywood works, that was a very new and insane idea. Yeah. It's it's also interesting to contrast that with, say, um, the approach in of, of Hollywood around something like X3, where it's just like, these all here's a bunch of characters. They're going to die in this movie. And maybe, you know, these characters that are extremely marketable. Yeah, we're just killing them. We're just killing a bunch of them. And yeah. Yeah, Professor X-Men Xavier, 3, The Last Stand. Yeah, yeah X-Men 3. They just, they just made it very clear that they would like happily, like, all these extremely marketable X-Men are just all going to the slaughterhouse. So. Yeah, like they just they killed Cyclops in the first 20 minutes. And it was like, I mean, I felt nothing. I was made of stone in that scene. <laughs> I was like, okay, got it. So I guess that actor probably asked for more money than they wanted to give him. <laughs> I think he might have been making the Superman movie. James Marston, I think, was making Superman. That oh, was like right. the conflict. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that was James Marston. I forgot. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I feel like with this, this Samuel L. Jackson situation, not everybody knows that amazing thing that he's Nick Fury because they decided to draw him into comics and he was into it and smart enough to ask for... For more stuff like if samuel jackson is less of a nerd i don't know which character they're hanging the whole shield organization on yeah you know? like, like it's really strange like i feel like this was probably one of those things where like sam jackson called and said like hey can i be nick fury in this and kevin feige probably pulled him aside for like an hour and was like okay so my plan is to do 50 movies and like nick fury will be a through you know like you right. got him to kind of agree to that oh, as sort of like a, you know what you're asking for now and do yeah you it's do sort it of still? it's sort of a like Hey, this is a. I know you're a nerd. I'm giving you the. I'm giving you the actual scoop on this, and not the like. Hey, it would be funny if you said one line at the end or whatever, you know. <laughs> but like, yeah, it is, it is such a perfect storm of like. Sam Jackson is enough of a nerd to be able to understand. Oh, that would be cool to connect all these universes because he reads comics, so he just like understood as a comics fan. Oh, that makes perfect sense in, in terms of comics, you know. Right. Yeah. He, if you read a, a bunch of them, you're like, yeah, right. Everybody teams up eventually and collides yeah. and course. Yeah. 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 And then looking at stories of how they executed that, I think we've got a few about Captain America Civil War, which is a little a little ways into the universe of it and also very critical. And I think Syriac, you picked out that there were huge disagreements uh, pretty much the whole way in putting that movie together. I think we need to talk about, you know, Captain America 3, how Civil War wasn't going to be the Civil War that kind of, uh, you know, everyone's familiar with, which is the, uh, you know, Iron Man and Captain America have philosophical debates about the nature of superheroics, and they also fight each other. The original adaptation was, you know, kind of more of a, you know, Captain America kind of very 70s kind of feel and vibe, uh, you know, something called Mad Bomb, which is, you know, 
Captain America versus America, if you want to like go with the tagline. So he's just like, you know, fighting normal citizens and it's, you know, oh, it's like yeah. the man, the myth versus versus the people he means to protect and things of that nature. Yeah, because um, this this Civil War movie, it's it's the third Captain America movie. And then, right, they, they were looking at a Mad Bomb story where he... From from what I read about it, he fights like zombies they, or or rage virus kind of yeah, monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a bomb goes <laughs> off, and basically the bomb essentially makes people go crazy and makes yeah. people go crazy. So it's not like it's not like zombies. Like they're not. I mean, it's probably more rage virus than like they're not undead. You know, yeah. Like Marvel zombies is a whole other <laughs> thing. But like, I really hope they make it into a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, what you saw, I guess, with a uh, civil war is Marvel was totally underestimating how kind of essential Robert Downey Jr. was to the success of these movies. And because um, <laughs> yeah, there was like a know, contract dispute, right? Yeah, yeah. And and, and uh, Ike Perlmutter, who we mentioned, who, you know, there's probably someday going to be written a really good book written about like the, you know, palace drama behind the scenes at, uh, you know, Marvel uh, Marvel's movie division simply do like the personalities and the jockeying and right, yeah. there was definitely different camps on these things and this 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 is all kind of stuff that just like leaked to the press and you know I mean the, the Perlmutter stuff got so bad that like Kevin Feige was like about to walk right like, like I think, yeah, Kevin Feige yeah, so. was like almost going to quit because apparently here they they ran into a thing of if people don't remember Civil War it's a Captain America movie but it's basically a him and Iron Man movie it's kind of like Avengers uh, 2.5 is like a good way to look at it yeah, exactly. And so they initially thought, well, we'll just make a Captain America movie, especially because Robert Downey Jr.'s contract is up. He did Avengers 2 Age of Ultron, and now he's uh, potentially done, and that's it. Uh, so we'll just do a Captain America movie. But then they came to him and said, hey, DC is making a Batman versus Superman movie, and we would kind of like to have a similar two big heroes against each other movie. What do you think of having like a small role in the Captain America film? And then Robert Downey Jr. said, I would like an enormous role and check, please. Uh, <laughs> yep. and, then, and then they said, oh, I mean, that would be great. Let's do that. Except Ike Perlmutter was like, no, 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 no. I don't like spending money. And then he and Feige are at each other's throats. Whole nother civil war, right? What do we yeah. do? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the case with <laughs> Perlmutter is like he was he was technically the head of like Marvel, like kind of like, you know, just Marvel as a whole. He was mainly a comic book guy that like kind of just went, when Marvel Studios was formed, it was kind of like under his umbrella. Yeah. He's a guy that really liked saving money and he um, <laughs> he didn't necessarily see the potential of the MCU in the same way that Kevin Feige did. So like once they kind of got to head and like, you know, Kevin Feige was talking about walking, the head of Disney was like, hey, wait, hold on, hold on. How much money do I have to pay to like make this right? And then, you know, like they were like, OK, Kevin Feige, you know, we get like a million dollars a year from Marvel Comics. We get a billion dollars a year from Marvel movies. So, like, I guess that like Kevin Feige, we're going to make you your own thing to, to where you and Perlmutter don't have the same office and don't have to talk like. Yeah. You know, great was, solution. Really. Smart. Yeah. These are C-list comic book characters when the first Iron Man movie came out. Just if you were to tell somebody, I don't know, in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Warner Brothers has got a, uh, a Batman versus Superman movie coming out. Don't worry to compete with that. Marvel is going to pit Iron Man versus Captain America. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, wow. Like the Marvel thing yeah. sounds dumb. <laughs> but like, you know, the opposite was absolutely true where it's like, right. oh, yeah. Like, you know, Iron Man is has gone to such a high level that him and Captain America are more known than probably Superman and Batman at this point. You know? It's surreal. It's like they're like taking, so they're surreal. using C-listers to knock out A-listers in a way that's very yeah. fulfilling to watch. Yeah, wow. And like in 2006 or seven, it would have been like, 
but you're really doing Wolverine versus Spider-Man, right? Yeah. And then and then maybe on DVD or or VHS or something, we'll throw together Captain America and Iron Man. It'll be little figurines fighting. You like know? even Wolverine versus versus Spider-Man is like, yeah, I guess that can compete with Batman versus Superman. <laughs> it it does not sound that good actually. So yeah. <laughs> That whole uh, movie worked out very, very well for them and kept the whole franchise going. It's amazing that it was almost zombies and it was amazingly that it was almost just Captain America, no RDJ and people fighting with each other and getting fired. And yeah, I don't know Ike Perlmutter. I don't know much about his character. I like the concept of man running the most profitable movie franchise ever built who doesn't like spending money like he's still like nah we gotta we gotta get the coins out of the couch cushions and stuff we still gotta do that the interesting thing about him like i guess there simply aren't for many many years there weren't many photos of him so when you like (laughs) google image image searched him it was just like this extremely 1980s like photo of him like standing in an office like it was like his headshot for like a character on like wall street or something it was like the most (laughs) 80s photo of the world so it's just like who is this immortal, you know, Gordon Gecko character running Marvel <laughs> and is like invisible and can't be like photographed? And uh, yeah, eventually, right. I, I guess like someone like, you know, photographed him at some point. But like for years, that was the big joke. He was like an old school comic exec guy. So it's like he didn't necessarily yeah. know Hollywood. Him and Kevin Feige, who definitely came from Hollywood, didn't necessarily speak the same language with a lot of that stuff. Well, and my, and my understanding of old school comics executives is it was a lot of stuff like, why are we feeding the artists? You know, yeah, like yeah. it's that oh, kind yeah. of vibe. So, oh, yeah. So he just yeah, doesn't like, understand that they literally made a billion dollars on one movie. Yeah. It just doesn't process. Yeah. So like, like so Stan Lee created, <laughs> we're, so only Stan Lee's getting creative credit for all these characters, but like a lot of people helped him on it. Nope. Only Stan, you know, it's like that. It's kind of a, <laughs> there's no unions. How can we screw over creatives? <laughs> And uh, and with other Avengers characters we're looking at too, Age of Ultron was the the big teaming everybody up movie before Civil War, and they they almost filled it with so many characters all at once. Uh, I, I think Joey, you picked the story. Yeah, there was there was specifically the end shot in the movie where they kind of like you know after they destroy Ultron, where like uh, they're essentially forming the the new Avengers of the new Avengers HQ. There are a bunch of shots where like Scarlet Witch and a lot of other people are kind of coming into frame to establish that this is the new Avengers team. But originally, Joss Whedon really wanted to include both Captain Marvel and Spider-Man in that. And it got so far to the point that literally the what's referred to as a plate shot in movies, the shot that they did where Scarlet Witch comes into frame. Basically, what they do is like they shoot something like kind of like how they want it to look. And then they'll do a second green screen shot of an actor that they'll use to kind of like composite them into the shot. So that plate shot was Joss Whedon shooting it for Captain Marvel. Like it got to that far where they were shooting stuff with the yeah. idea of Captain Marvel is going to be in this shot. And um, they'll figure it out who it is later. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. they didn't cast anybody yet for it. But like, <laughs> and like the, the, the reason that Spider-Man wasn't in it, Spider-Man was something that like Kevin Feige was like, oh yeah, that would be a really great, like fun way to like tease in Spider-Man. But like they just hadn't worked out the Sony deal yet. Like currently Sony and Marvel are working together on, you know, on Spider-Man movies in the MCU. Sony still kind of owns the movie rights to Spider-Man, but it's like it's a a co-production for lack of a better term. The deal had not been worked out yet, so they couldn't quite work him in there. That's why they put Spider-Man in Civil War instead. With Captain Marvel, Kevin Feige was interested in doing it. He told Joss Whedon, 
oh yeah, that might be a good idea. But really what he was thinking was like, oh, I plan on doing a Captain Marvel movie and don't want her introduction to be a split second at the end. Because like <laughs> Spider-Man is a character that everybody kind of, you know, like you said, him and Wolverine are the two that everybody kind of knows. Captain Marvel is like a little bit lower of a tier character in terms of what like the average person knows. So like you want Captain Marvel to have a standalone movie to just introduce what she's about to the world before putting her in a teaser where everybody's like, wait, who's that? You know? Yeah, because she got that movie in 2019, and then we almost had her just chucked into Age of Ultron seven years earlier. Mm, yeah, in, that in a very weird. tossed off way, whole different thing. And she's also such an <laughs> overpowered character that if she was in the MCU in Age of Ultron, like, what would that look? That would be insane. Oh yeah, she would just fried Ultron right away or something. Yeah, I mean, she's essentially <laughs> she's essentially Marvel Superman. So it's like, oh, like to all of a sudden have Superman in Civil War, it's like. Oh, whichever side she's on is definitely going to win, you know? <laughs> and with other Avenger lineup stuff, too, there's also a thing where, in general, I, I didn't know this until we were putting it together, uh, Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson, going to get a, a standalone movie soon. But that character was almost Emily Blunt. And then once they finally got Scarlett Johansson, there was almost so much trouble with her schedule that they were ready to, at a moment's notice, write her out of the Avengers. Because if they couldn't get her, oh, we'll throw the Wasp in instead. Whole different character, whole thing. Well, the, the Wasp makes sense. Like, the Wasp was one of the original Avengers, you know, in the comics when they originally came out in, like, the 50s or whatever. The Wasp actually, for a time, was the leader of the Avengers. So in terms of comics, it makes sense for the Wasp to be in the first Avengers movie. But, you know, I mean, like the Wasp and Ant-Man, like it's like if you're introducing the Wasp, you also want to introduce Ant-Man and like you're getting to a point where you're introducing a lot of stuff in a movie that ended up being really efficient. But Black Widow, I think, was definitely the better choice. Yeah, totally. Yes, The Avengers is a movie about like, you know, a mutant and a god and gunman all like teaming up to gunman. fight like, you know, <laughs> you know, they're to fight like aliens. But for some reason... Part party is like shrinking. Now that's a little too much. Like yeah. <laughs> shrinking. Now I've seen everything. You know, I, I feel like yeah. maybe that would have been like Avengers was a big gamble. I think they were trying to limit any amount of hokiness possible. One other quick Spider-Man story here. I think Siri could picked out that when they were putting together these new Tom Holland Spider-Man for the for starting in Captain America: Civil War in the MCU. They had very recent Andrew Garfield movies, and they almost yeah. just rolled him over. <laughs> yeah, it's Amazing Spider-Man Two. I wouldn't call it like a particularly good movie, but again, from a so you know from a perspective on you know how corporate politics work and things, it's it's a very interesting movie because Amazing Spider-Man Two. I will actually give it credit for being one of the few modern superhero movies to try to recreate the magic of like Batman Forever because there's like different theme songs to the villains. Like Electro had a theme song and like awesome. um, they, they really leaned in on that. And I don't know, like I like Kiss from a Rose or, you know, Kiss on a Rose. How, <laughs> uh, what's it called? You know, I love that Kiss stuff. From you know, I, oh, yeah. Kiss from a Rose. Yeah, yeah I love, love that. You know, it's I, I love the fact that like Batman's song for that movie was essentially like this Ren Fair R&B ballad. It was like pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so, you know. It's like, oh man, if I'm thinking about Batman, I'm thinking Ren Fair R&B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's I mean there's like there's like some pan flutes or something going on. There's yeah. a lot happening. Is Renfair R and B like saying ATM machine? Like the R stands for Renfair. So you don't Renf you know you don't actually need to Renfair and blues. Yeah, Renfair and Blues. Yeah. Actually I just wanna I just wanna pause for a sec and like man, Kiss from a Rose from Seal is like a banger, right? That song is Yeah, it's dope. great. Oh, yeah. it's awesome. That yeah. is my yeah. go to karaoke song. <laughs> and I yeah, do it's... not know how to sing. So it's uh it's just enthusiasm pushing me through on that one. <laughs> It's this weird kind of super intense romantic ballad that also 
is intrinsic to like the identity of 1990s Batman. It's it's yeah. really weird. It's, oh yeah, it's, it's really great. weird and delightful. It's delightful. Yeah. yeah. But then um, with uh, and so Amazing Spider-Man Two, full yeah, of these songs. Yeah. So Amazing Spider-Man Two, like the ambitions of Amazing Spider-Man Two were: this is going to be our uh, competitor to the um, MCU. This is going to be, you know, we have all these villains, and in the last scene, we're going to have, you know, show all of their, you know, villainish uh, accoutrements, and they're, you know, it's the, you know, it's saying up like the Sinister Six, which is just like whatever Spider-Man villains are hanging out in a half dozen. So it was a very ambitious film. They want they were using it as a setup, and it, had they kept going with Andrew Garfield, it honestly just would have been kind of strange because, I mean, Andrew Garfield, I thought, was a great Spider-Man. I thought he did a great job. But the main problem with The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was like, and the Amazing Spider-Man series as a whole, with Tom Holland's character, there's never a moment where he's just like, I'm not going to be Spider-Man anymore. Like, so much of Spider-Man movies get old when he's always debating whether or not he's going to be Spider-Man. And yeah, I know that's like part of the character. He's like, ah, he's he's anguished. He has conflicted feelings about being a Spider-Man. But you can only do that plot so many times before people's like... I just want to see him fight the rhino, you know? It's, yeah. It's, right, just be Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, just, can he just be Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, just for, commit to being like, Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. And, and Tom, you know, the Tom Holland movies, I think largely, they kind of toy with it, but at the same time, like, he's going to be Spider-Man. Come on. We all know the score. We all know. We all know that, like, yeah. he throws his, like... Yeah, we all know freaking, how movies work. He's not Yeah, just come gonna, on. We've, we've, end we've, of we've act, all seen a movie. End of know? act one, he's not going to say, guess I'm done being Spider-Man, and then he just never goes back to being Spider-Man. <laughs> And there's also one where I feel like the casting change changes all the stories because if if you just look at their ages, Andrew Garfield's 12 years older than Tom Holland. Yeah, he's like and, 31. Yeah. Yeah, and he he would have been in his 30s when they started shooting the MCU Spider-Man stuff, and so you can't do these very high school stories that they do in an effective way with Tom Holland. You can't. It's harder to do the Iron Man's kind of his dad stories because he's like, I'm in my 30s. I don't I don't need a a dad from you. I'm fine. It's a whole different different set of movies. I don't know what they do. Yeah, that, that is something that I really appreciate about the Tom Holland Spider-Man. He's like a two years younger Spider-Man than we often see. And like, there is something cool about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, and to kind of round us off here, we've explored how this all barely came together. And then there's there's this whole Fate for, is 4 coming and everything. What are you guys excited about as far as next uh, Marvel movies and, and shows and other things? Black Widow, you know, she dies in Endgame. What's the Black Widow solo movie going to be? I mean, oh, the, thought, yeah. the thought is, uh, you know, theoretically it'll be a prequel, but like, I don't think that you can do just a prequel in the MCU. It has to set something up, you know, like, like it can't be a bottle movie. So I'm interested just in terms of story, how they're going to do with that. Very excited oh, about yeah. um, Blade in the MCU. I think that's going to be bonkers because that also just introduces the idea of, oh, now there are vampires in the MCU. Cool. You know, it's, it, it just opens up like a new side of the world that's fun in the same way that um, Captain Marvel introduced. Oh, now there are scrolls, you know. What they announced wasn't all of Phase 4. I am sure we're going to see a Fantastic Four movie in Phase 4. You know, I'm also very interested to see it's right what, in the number. Yeah, yeah you know, fun, fantastic, fantastic Phase 4. Like, I yeah. feel like that'll be kind of the Ant-Man of Phase 4. For I, like think, I think term. it's in the Constitution that if it's called Phase 4, yeah. you have to do Fantastic Four. Yeah, in the same way that Phase 6 will <laughs> probably okay. be X-Men because 6 has an X in it. You know. Um, <laughs> The thing I'm most excited about is when people know how to write in Shang-Chi is just like really cool. Like yeah. the way you got to make Shang-Chi work is you have to basically lean into his Shang-Chi master of Kung Fu. And like, there's so many good comic moments where it's like, we brought in Shang-Chi master of Kung Fu and everyone's like, oh, like, oh snap. Like, <laughs> oh, they, that's they, great. They, they, like basically, I think if they really want to make it effective, like people just like, yeah, his name is Shang-Chi master of Kung Fu. And everyone just like the room goes silent. 
I feel like in the best comics he's written, there's a lot of those kind of moments. Yeah, he's just like the greatest fighter on planet Earth. Like that, that's just his thing. And yeah, let so, us run with that so as hard the, as possible. So he walks into a room, and even the Incredible Hulk is like, "Oh damn!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's he's gonna like he's gonna like choke slam the the Incredible Hulk or something. You know, I'm you know, excited about something that. like that. Um, I didn't really know a ton about um, Shang Chi before this, but you sold me on that movie. Yeah, I, I'm completely in now. Yeah, yeah. Good. And you you gotta say Master Kung Fu and be dead sincere about it. Yeah, yeah he's Ch- the Master Kung yeah, Shang-Chi, Fu. Shang Chi, Master yeah. Kung Fu. Yeah, we are all aware of that. Why did you say it? We knew. It. Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Joey Clift and Syriac Lamar for bringing some deep-ass comics knowledge to this episode and helping me sort of mentally review everything that's happened since 2008 in superhero movies. It's been a it's been a full-on sea change. I think that's an interesting thing to be alive for and notice. And in our food notes, you will find interesting cracked articles on all those MCU changes and expansions and more, also key outside sources that we drew on. In particular, I want to pick out an excellent Vanity Fair oral history of that first Iron Man movie in 2008. It's sort of a history of how Kevin Feige just loved his job so much he turned it into a studio. It's really kind of an exciting thing for if you're ever in a position where where you feel like you could be doing more in your job. He figured out a way to blow it out from inside the job. He didn't need to leave or anything. Always good to see somebody get to do that. You know what else is good? Our theme music, in my opinion. It is the song Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Ryan Connor and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. Please review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever else you listen to podcasts. That is shockingly important to all podcasting, and it would be a favor for us that's free for you to do. So that's my ask. However, if you hated this episode, you'd better let me know about it on social media. That's right. Social media, a thing that if I remember right, it's in Marvel movies pretty smoothly, pretty authentically, because, you know, you've seen a lot of movies where just one character tells another character you're going viral and it doesn't feel like they set it up at all or, or actually made it a realistic situation where that would happen. Marvel movies, I feel like they tend not to blow it there. That's just another another well-crafted bit. Good job. My own Twitter account full of bits. It is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitztagram, and I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. That's got my show dates, my fun email newsletter of free, fun internet stuff, and so much more. And I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.